Hey, it's Danielle. It's the holiday season. It's here. And I've been looking for new ways to decrease my motherhood load, especially the mental work of preparing meals and thinking of new meals. And so I've tried out Factor. It's America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. And they actually provide breakfast, lunch, or dinner. All the food is chef-prepared, dietitian approved and they get delivered straight to your door in like dry ice packets and everything comes in um, recyclable packaging as well. So that's helpful. And during this holiday season, the kids are home extra days and we're preparing all these big meals. And what I've really found helpful is to just have these ready to eat meals, either whether it's for, you know, lunchtime or the day after you've made a big meal and nobody wants to keep eating the leftovers, right? So you can have those, especially with the kids being home from school for longer days. And it just gives me a break, a break from the everyday um, hustle bustle of trying to make sure everyone has something good to eat. And it's not necessarily like fast food all the time or trying to go out to eat somewhere. So that's been really helpful. And right now, just for trying it out, you can head to factormeals.com slash birthstoriescolor50 and use code birthstoriescolor50 to get 50% off. That's code birthstoriescolor50 at factormeals.com slash birthstoriescolor50 to get 50% off. And that's an excellent way to just try it out and see if you like it and let us know what you think. Welcome to Birth Stories in Color, a podcast creating community for people of color to share and learn from birth stories of all types. We're your hosts, Laurel Gurrier and Danielle Jackson. Today's episode features Stacey Shannon, her partner, Sean, and joining us from Pennsylvania. They'll be sharing the births of their two children, stories that can be described as both traumatic as well as redemptive. Hello, Sean, Stacey, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? So my name is Stacy, and I am 40 years old, a mother of two beautiful babies, a boy and a girl, and um, right now I'm just really in my mom season. <laughs> Mama. Aww. This is baby Orla. Hi. My son. And then I have a daughter, and she's five, and her name is Zori. And I'm Sean. Um, I am the lucky father and husband to this beautiful people. Can you guys start off by telling us a little bit about your pregnancy? So we um, started having kids, trying to have kids, um, whenever I was 32. And I got off the pill and I thought that I was going to get pregnant like the next month because um, you're always like scared into thinking that you're going to get pregnant like it's so easy. And we found out that it was not so easy at all. So after a year of trying, um, I finally got pregnant and I had a miscarriage. That was very traumatic for me um, because at the time it was like one of those things you might know one or two people that had one. But you didn't realize, like, I mean, like, I shared it when I was at work and my manager was like, I had one. And, you know, everyone kind of lets you know. So that was, like, really supportive. I got pregnant again immediately afterwards. That had another miscarriage. And that was very, very tough, like, because it, it, I never seen it happening two times in a row. 
Um, and then we tried for another year and we were unsuccessful. So we started infertility mm-hmm. testing and I, and I was waiting for, um, like a certain time in my cycle to do another fertility infertility treatment. And, um, my cycle never came and I found out that I was pregnant with my daughter, Zori. I had a pretty normal pregnancy. I had a little bit of morning sickness in the first trimester, second trimester. I was feeling great third trimester I was over it I was ready to go um I had no complications or anything like that it was just like the perfect pregnancy we found out at 36 weeks that she was breech and I was like oh no and so I did all of this research like googling how to turn her did crazy things like laying on the ironing board peas on the top of my belly warm stuff on the bottom even when we like shined a light uh, music, like every single so thing. So many different methods we <laughs> what, tried. Like whatever. On the internet, like how can we do this? Yeah, we were like, we're going to turn this baby. And so she did not turn. Um, and so I had to have a scheduled C-section with her. I had a couple people around me that had had scheduled C-sections and they made it seem like it was no big deal. So while I was very, very, very upset that I had to have a C-section because I had this plan. I wasn't going to try for like a completely natural birth, but like I just wanted to be, have like a very like mindful, like I'm going to try to listen to my body and trust my body. Um, but also it was my first pregnancy. And so I was like, you know, kind of whatever the doctor says too. like, even though I felt like there were things that I wanted, I was like, you know, they're the experts. I'm just so thankful to be pregnant. I just want everything to go perfect. Um, And so she didn't turn, so I had a scheduled C-section at 39 weeks. Everything was, like, normal and by the books at the very beginning. And then um, she came out, and she cried, and, you know, it was just, like, this great, joyous moment. And then my last memory is um, the doctor saying, like, something about it's stuck. And then the anesthesiologist, who I had, like, made friends with in the beginning, um stabbing something into my right arm I remember looking over and seeing that needle go in and that's my last memory um and then I woke up in a hospital room with no baby and um I was like shivering and confused and I couldn't stop shaking I couldn't figure out why I was shaking so much and I just remember the doctor standing at the end of my bed and saying if you don't start stop bleeding we're gonna have to take your uterus so that's kind of like my version of the birth story um but then of course I was like you know told everything that happened after the fact and I found out that I had placenta accreta and that they had um my doctor had knew how much that we struggled to conceive and how much we wanted to have another child so she kind of encouraged um she wasn't the one that did the hysterectomy but she kind of we were in a practice she encouraged the one of the doctors in the practice who did, not my hysterectomy, sorry, my C-section. Um, she encouraged them, like, do whatever you can to save her uterus. And so fortunately, they were able to. Uh, they put in this thing called a Bacri balloon. And then um, that stayed in for, like, two days. Yeah. And um, the bleeding stopped. But through the process, I ended up having... Um, hemorrhaging, having four blood transfusions. Um, what else? I mean, you were there, you were with it. Um, I mean, yeah, just the blood transfusions, you know, after the hemorrhaging. 
um, the Bakri balloon. <clears throat> we were just kind of relieved that they were able to save her uterus because we, you know, we did want to try to have another child. Really, at that point, my mind, I'm just thinking, like, save my wife. Like, because I'm, I'm in the waiting room, in the wait, little waiting, like, room area where they're going to bring her from the operating room. And, um, after the C-section, after the C-section and there's just doctors, they, they kick me out. Um, and there's just doctors running in and out and I'm just like, I, I mean, I kind of knew what was happening and I'm just like, save my wife. And then they came out and they talked to me and told me about the hysterectomy possibly. And I'm like, I mean, I didn't want to have to make that decision and I didn't want to make that decision, but if it was going to save her, that's what needed to happen. But Thankfully, they were able to stabilize her, and she was able to come out of it and kind of make that decision on her own. Thankfully, we didn't have to make that decision. I'm going to go back a little bit just within the conception process. After experiencing those miscarriages and the challenges with infertility, like just conceiving in general, how are you feeling just in that space immediately? Um. So I feel like we were like so fortunate to finally conceive naturally that sometimes I look back on it and I think like, oh, maybe we were just impatient and we should have waited. But given like my age and the length of time that we had been trying and the fact that there was nothing wrong with us, like we had done testing. um, And so it was just it was very like frustrating um, but then I, I know that there are other people that are never able to conceive and like, I'm a champion for them. Like I'm such, I don't know. I feel like I have this like sixth sense when it comes to women around me who get pregnant and the ones that were like struggling or silently struggling. And then the ones that are like, Oh, I'm just, I don't know how it happened. I'm just pregnant. Like I, you know, I'm always like. I feel like eternally when I hear stories like that, I will roll my eyes um, and I'm okay with that. I've accepted that, you know, I'm, I'm happy for you, but I might not be able to be happy with you. You know, I've heard that say said before, and it's like, so true. Like, um, but then the women around me that I feel like have struggled, it's like, when I hear about like that, they're expecting, like, I'll tell him like, Oh, I think so-and-so was trying to have a baby. It was, and I mean, they might not have been struggling, but I just felt like I know. And then it always seems like whenever I do get the chance to connect with someone who had a difficult time trying to conceive, like, I don't know, we're just like this sisterhood that you don't understand it until you go through it. I think it's important to note that most people do struggle a little bit, right? We, I think that a lot more people, just like you said, you spend so much of your time trying not to get pregnant. That when you do, it seems like it should happen in a snap and then it doesn't. And that knowing that it's not until you've tried for a year that they even consider it infertility or that you might have something going on. I know with the first birth, a lot of things went a little left, right? Like just, but in that planning period or while you were actually pregnant, what were some things that you actually did plan for, try to prepare for? Even when you knew you were going to have a C-section. So initially, I didn't think I was going to have a C-section. So I had this plan that I was going to go in there and tough it out for as long as I could. That I wasn't going to request an epidural, but if I needed one, I would 
I would get one, but that I was just going to be like, I did hypnobirthing. And so that I was just going to be like very in tune with my body. Um, and I really never thought of anything. We took like, um, birthing classes and I was like giggling through them. Like the thought of anything could going wrong was like, not even an option. Like we didn't even, I mean, not even a C-section like that was, it was like, we were going to go in and, yes, and have this perfect birth because we had tried, we had prepared for it. We were so fortunate to be blessed with it. Like, and you know, the struggle was the struggle to get pregnant was like the end of our struggles, you know, like nothing else could go wrong. So, you know, as far as like how we prepared for it, we, I guess just like positive thinking, delusional positive mm -hmm. thinking. <laughs> I mean, we, I, I redid a whole room in my, in our house. I, um, completely gutted it, re rebuilt everything brand new yeah. nursery. So like, like Stace was saying, like we were just, you know, not even really thinking about like, oh, something could go go wrong. So when we found out that she was breached. It was like, I know that's serious, you know. So that's going to call for a C-section at that point. Um, but I mean, up until that point, we were, you know, just kind of preparing and preparing the house. And like I said, I redid an entire room, like crib, everything in there, brand new, beautiful. Um, not not even thinking, you know, that anything like this could, could happen. So. I don't think it's being naive. There's a lot that can happen throughout a pregnancy and through the actual labor and delivery. So you guys are doing what most people do, just that preparation and really planning your home um, to bring in a new human to your family. Once you deliver, how was your immediate postpartum, that experience of bringing baby home? So, she, when she was born, she was um, put in the NICU. She had some breathing concerns, and they had warned me that that could happen. They said it's completely normal. Um, so when I woke up and she wasn't with us, I wasn't too alarmed. Um, like I said, I was, like, shaking a lot. I had, like, the post... Um, birth shakes that no one warns you about that's something that more people should speak about because it was like just so crazy the like not being able to control your body shaking um so that was really what I focused on a lot like I was just like I just want it to stop shaking and I and I mean there might have been other things going on but like I think I blocked out anything that's like, as far as, like, the fact that I could have died, how serious everything was, it was just, like, the one thing I really remember is those shakes, and I remember talking to my dad, um, kind of telling him what happened, not really, like, emotionally even knowing how serious everything was. It was just, like, oh, you know, I have to leave this room, and then um, the baby's going to come back from the NICU, and everything's going to be fine. So I go back to the room. Um, all I wanted to do was eat something and they were giving me ice chips and I was asking my husband to sneak me food. And he was like, you know, no, listening to the doctors. Um, and then they were like, you know, we're going to keep the baby overnight and, you know, you need to get some rest. So they kept me in like the postpartum ICU area. Um and so I didn't, I wasn't really too concerned then. I was sad. I wanted my baby. I wanted to see my baby. 
Um, but they had like a camera in the NICU. So I was able to see her. My family was able to see her. I was able to see like pictures. So I woke up in the morning and I ate. Um, and then she was still in the NICU and just nurses, everyone that would come in would ask me like, you know, how are you doing? Is there anything I can get you? And I'm like, I just want to see my baby. Um, and then we had this one nurse who I don't think was like on staff there. I think she was like a travel nurse or something because she had this great plan. She was going to try to wheel me down in my bed in the, into the NICU. Um, but I guess when she brought it up, they quickly shut it down. (laughs) (laughs) And so that like first full day of like being cognizant and like, hearing like what I went through, but it's still like, I haven't met my baby. Where's my baby? Like, I just want to see my baby. Um, and so I wasn't able to see her until I was able to walk and I was in pretty bad shape. So I really just had to be able to transfer from the bed to the wheelchair. Um, and so I remember like when the nurse came in and she was like, okay, we can try it. If you can go to the bathroom, then you can go down there. And like, um, it was extremely painful, but I pulled it together and I got in the wheelchair and I look at pictures and I just look, I just like cry for that woman in those pictures. Like I just look so beaded, beat up and battered. And I had like five IVs in me. Um, I still had a catheter in, I was swollen so much because I had high blood pressure. I developed high blood pressure after I delivered. Um, I just was a mess, but I just wanted to get to my baby. And I went down and I met her. And I don't have, like, a lot of memories of all of this, but we have pictures. um, So it kind of, like, helps, you know. Um, And I went down and I met her. And um, they were still keeping her in the NICU. I was fortunate to be able to stay an extra day because of the trauma that I had with my delivery. And so I didn't want to leave the hospital without my baby. Like, at that point, that was the worst thing. Like, if I have to leave the hospital and not take the baby home, like, how am I going to be able to do that? Um, so we were in the hospital for three days. She was in the NICU. I met her on the second day, so I didn't meet her until she was two days old. Um, and then on the third day, they were like, we're probably going to discharge you tomorrow. And there was no reason for them to keep me. So they discharged me, but they kept her. And the reason why they kept her is because her blood sugars were low and they couldn't get her blood sugars up. Um, And I had done, like, my Google research, and I found that that was normal. So I remember the first night home just, like, crying the whole night. I felt so guilty, like, it was my fault because I let them do a – I agreed to a scheduled C-section because I didn't go into labor. And so they basically ripped my baby from my womb. Like, that's how I felt. And I just felt so guilty. Like, if I would have just at least made them wait until I went into labor so we knew she was ready to come. Like, how did we know she was ready to come out? And that's why she has low blood sugar. And then, like, oh, my goodness, I'm at home without my baby. Um, And then I had... I'm trying to recover from a C-section. I'm swollen so bad. Like, I have a picture of my feet. And I'm like, how did no one, like warned me that this was going to happen and that this is a side effect of postpartum high blood pressure. And it was just like so much. Um, and then we had to go back and forth from the hospital. We live about 30 minutes, 35 minutes without traffic from the hospital. So we'd have to go back and forth. I could barely walk. So it was like a lot of like trying to get in and out of the car. Um, 
the wheel getting wheeled up to her room and then not knowing what's going on with our baby and being in a NICU and you see all these other premature babies but she's like they joked and they said she was like the superstar of the NICU because she was like full term she didn't yeah. look sick and still having to be there and so that was just really stressful but also in ways I think it helped um that I didn't meet her initially and that like we were still kind of forming our bond because I always say like if she if she had to be in the hospital now like in an ICU or something I would never ever be able to leave her like never they would be out of the question and if I did like Sean would have to be there with her and I would be doing whatever I could to get back to her and so sometimes I think it was like meant to happen how it happened but oh it was a ride <laughs> One thing I want to share with our listeners, when people think about babies being born via surgical birth, one of the issues that's different is your baby's not being pushed through the birth canal. And so that's when they expand all that fluid out of their bodies. And so people are often like, well, what's wrong? What's the difference? And that's simply it. Like they get a lot of the fluid out. And when they're born through surgical birth, they don't get a chance to get all the fluid out of their bodies and lungs and things. And so that makes them have like sometimes a little wet cough and they want to make sure everything gets dried up and they're clear. And that's a common thing is very common. So all of this postpartum, you didn't get the chance to meet your daughter. Sean, how was it for you? Because you were able to go down to the NICU, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I was able to go down there. Um, I was able to hold her, uh, but she was hooked up to all these IVs and monitors. Like, so it was like tough holding her with all, all of that. But yeah, I was able to, to, to hold her and at least, uh, at least I was able to be there. Um, when, when, um, after the initial scare with Stacy and they finally got the bleeding under control, um, and they said they were taking the baby to the NICU due to the fact that she didn't expel that, that fluid because she was C-section. So it was a little breathing there. So I'm thinking, okay, completely normal. She goes down there. Um, then she's down there and then we finally get stay stable and into a room. And then the doctors come and talk to us about, um, her blood sugar and how it hasn't self-corrected yet. Um, so they wanted to keep an eye on that because it was it was low, um, but uh, yeah, just I, I was happy that I was um, able to to be with her, and but it it, it didn't feel complete because mom wasn't there, like you know, and it was just like I would go down there and I would spend some time down there, but I'm like I need to get back to to my wife too, so I feel bad about leaks. So I was you know. Um, but I, I knew that she was in good hands in the NICU, and I knew that it was just a blood sugar thing. And by that point, they had explained everything. They were running steady uh, dextrose, so they kind of somewhat stabilized it so it wasn't dangerously low. Um, they kept an eye on, like, seizure activity, things like that. And, you know, none of that occurred, thankfully. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was tough, you know, just after going through all that and then having to, to go between Stacy and Zori and back and forth. Um, yeah, it was it was tough. And did you guys have any family or friends support during that time? Yeah, yeah. All, all of our family um, is local, thankfully. So 
um, when they were able to, they, they came down to the hospital. Yeah. And um, my daughter, I have an, an older daughter. Um, how old was she at the time? 21. Yeah, but she was, she lives in Florida. She was visiting and she was actually, you know, supposed to come up, see the baby. She, we planned it that way. We'd be home by then. Um, well, it turns out she's staying here at the house by herself. So that kind of like sucked too. Um, but she did get to come down to the hospital, but you know, it was, and then we had to go to Philly. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that part here. Soon. But, um, so, so it was we, a journey. Yeah. We, we, we had to, uh, had to leave her. So, um, yeah. So after, you know, they, they found out, um, kind of what they thought her condition might be, um, with the blood sugar, just because they couldn't get it to come back up, um, even with treatment. They, they consulted with Children's Hospital of Philadelphia um, because they thought that she had congenital hyperinsulinism, uh, which is a very huh. rare condition, several different causes. Um, but uh, CHOP, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, is number one in the world for for the condition. So okay. Um, okay. They, they consulted with them and... Um, they said we have to go to Philly. Said we have to go to Philly, and I'm like, ah, we're not gonna have yeah. to go to Philly. Yeah, like, we live mean? in Pittsburgh, like, UPMC, right, like we're Children's like Hospital's nationally... right up the road. What do we, what do we do? Yeah. About <laughs> so then they kind of explained what I just said. Um, mm-hmm. Again, didn't uh-huh. have that knowledge at the time, but um, definitely got to know that. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, but but they were like, all right, you know, you might have to go to, and it was still a might at that point. We're gonna try it. We're gonna try one more thing. If it doesn't work we're going to ship you guys out. So, and and, and what they tried actually last is, um, uh, it ended up working actually. Um, so by the time we were, um, I don't even know if you want to transition into this, this part of it right now. No, you're fine. Um, No, you're fine. Uh, so they told us, you know, we're going to try one more thing didn't work she didn't really respond to the dose they gave them or whatever so um they were like we're gonna fly you out to philadelphia medical flight um but only one parent could go so obviously it was gonna be mom so you know we planned um i went home packed bags um I couldn't go upstairs because I couldn't walk up the steps yet. And we had the living room was prepared to come home post C-section. So there was like, you know, I had, I got all these matching pajama outfits to nurse in. Like, you know, I didn't get my dream birth, but I'm going to get like maternity leave is just going to be like me and the baby. And we're going to walk to the deli and eat sandwiches. And, you know, and we came home and it was not like that. Um, but I still had everything prepared. And so now I have to go to Philadelphia and I don't have clothes for Philadelphia. I have pajamas <laughs> and I can't go upstairs in my closet. So I'm like feeling so helpless at the bottom of the steps, yelling upstairs, like pack this and pack that. And we didn't know how long we were going to be there. We didn't know where we uh-huh. were going to stay. It was just like your baby's going to Philadelphia. So you're going to Philadelphia and you're flying there first thing in the morning on a medical uh, flight. So it was just like chaos, but it was so fast, so much was going on. We didn't really have time to even like process anything. It was just like, okay, we got to go. So how many days postpartum was that when you guys were 
That was day seven, I believe. That was, well, that was day six when we found out, and then we left on day seven. And so I was still, you know, post-C-section, not walking well, still had high blood pressure, like, still um, uh, just so, so much had happened to me. But I, and in a this just becomes another like kind of like, you know, everything happens for a reason. Um, I was just, we were so focused on the baby that I didn't have time to focus on anything on myself. So anything that I was feeling things that like, you know, if I, if she was here and I could have focused on recovering that I might've like addressed, it was like, you know, you're under stress. This is because of stress. This is because of stress. Like, you know, or I just didn't even think about it. Like it never even crossed my mind that it was a concern, like some of the issues that I was having. Um, and so we flew to Philadelphia. We, my daughter and I got there. Um, and then Sean was driving there. So her and I, they, when we first got there, you know, the transport team kind of explained everything to me and they like talked me through what was going to happen. And then, the nurses and doctors and um, at top came and they told me it was going to happen. They were like, it's going to be a lot going on, but then you'll get your baby and you can hold her. And um, so it was just kind of like a whirlwind, like the transition from one hospital to the next. But then when it all settled, I was able to hold her. The NICU at CHOP was a lot more like family friendly at the time um, where it was, you know, she kind of was in her own individual area. I didn't have any like restrictions between like when I could pick her up when I couldn't, it was like, you know, they would even do care in my arms, which was like lovely. So I just held her. Um, it takes like five hours to drive there. We live in Pittsburgh, yeah, the Pittsburgh area. Um, and so just waiting for him to get there. And then he got there and then we were all just one big happy family. Finally, like, yeah together without like yeah. a million other babies and nurses around yeah and by the time i had gotten there they had uh zori stabilized um they had got her blood sugar up to the level they were comfortable with um and and were treating it so um that that was a good thing and then we could actually be she was in an open area with an open bed she wasn't in like a i can't think of the name of it right ice, now ice <laughs> um, but she wasn't enclosed she was open so we could touch her and um and then we finally got got moved to to a room mm -hmm. which was progress because we knew like okay they're gonna have to run all kind of tests and figure out what's yeah. going on why is this happening so it was nice to be like out of the NICU in our own hospital room and so that's kind of when like we could like take a breath yeah. Like, okay, like, you know, we don't, we, we know that our baby's going to be okay. She's going to live. We just need to figure out, like, you know, how to treat this and then we can go home. So then that's whenever I was able to kind of focus, like, on how I was feeling. Um, and so from the time that she had been born until up until this point, this was like about mm, 10 days, about yes. 10 days after mm -hmm. she was born, um, I just felt, kept having this feeling like I had, like, the best way to describe it is like I had like a super absorbency tampon in, but I wasn't on my period. And I know the women will understand that. <laughs> and I just kept having this feeling, but I never had a baby before. And while I had a C-section, I was like, maybe, you know, there's changes. Maybe that's is supposed to be normal. Um, 
But then it was just, there was just like some other symptoms that were happening that I was like, something's going on. So they moved her to um, her own room and we came home and I took a shower and I just felt down there and I was like, something's going on. So I told Sean, I said, I need you to look inside me. Like there's. Well, we were actually, we were. Oh yeah. We were we staying. Left, we, yeah. <laughs> we were in Philly. So we were staying with her aunt. With traffic, it's like an hour from the hospital. Yeah. So it was that was really, yeah. really convenient. Because so before we were, that, we had slept in the hospital, which yeah, we, I wouldn't advise for someone post C-section. Right. And then we had stayed at we called it the Roach Motel. It was like we didn't even bring our luggage inside. We just slept on the bed, <laughs> and then we were just like happy that we had like that we weren't at the hospital anymore. Um, but then yeah, my. Aunt and uncle um, live near Philadelphia, and they were like, "Come stay with us! Like, what are you guys doing? Get up here!" Which was like, oh, we're so thankful for them. Yeah. So we were at their house, and like, finally able to just like take a breath. So I'm in the shower, and I'm like, "Come get a flashlight and look inside and see what's going on." And he's down there looking, and he was like, "There's something in here." And he like, I was like, "Well, get it out!" And he like goes to pull, and I'm like, "Wait, like." What if it's my uterus? Like, I don't know. I don't want you just pulling things out of me. Um, so I call my doctor and she was like, oh, my gosh, come in the office right now. And I said, well, I'm in Philadelphia. I can't come into the office. And she was like, go to the emergency room immediately. And at that time, we didn't even we didn't know exactly what it was. Right. But I'm just like thinking She's I'm done. a ticking time bomb. And like, I have to get to the emergency room. And so we just like, we're like, OK, yeah, here we go. We get to the emergency room. Um, it was really nice because they were immediately able to take me to labor and delivery. Like, they didn't even, they were like, we don't know what's going on. Like, we, I probably waited for less than five minutes. Like, it was excellent, excellent service. Like, as soon as we got in there, they were like, go to labor and delivery. I went to labor and delivery, um, and they found that I had gauze left inside of me from my delivery. So that was 12 days after I had given birth. I had walked around with gauze inside of me. Um, it was so, so traumatic. Like, I remember every single detail, every single sense. I, like, I remember it all like it was yesterday. And after, um, and at the time, I was by myself um, because the adult hospital fortunately was right next door to the children's hospital so i had sent sean to check on the baby because you know we had been away from her all night and it was like you go check on the baby i'm fine like if if there's anything going on i'll call you so i'm by myself they pull this gauze out of me i describe it as like you know when the clown pulls like the tissue out of the tissue box and it never stops that's what it felt like and i'll leave everything else up to everyone's imagination because it was just as horrible as you think it would be it was and the doctor he was so gentle and he was like explained everything to me and he was like i want to do a thorough exam because i want to make sure there's no like trauma to your reproductive organs because that's a long time for it to be in there and he said everything looked normal and you know everything was was good um when I came out of the room I'll never forget the nurse pulled me to the side and she was like I can't give you any legal advice like I shouldn't even say this to you and she was like the shit that I just seen in there was not normal and I was like <laughs> you know at that time I needed to hear that too because like I said we were just in this like 
survival mode like where if we would have felt anything we would have probably just been done like we would have broke so hard like just everything we went through like we it was just like don't feel like subconsciously like I don't remember like us like actually having those conversations but like we just anytime we talk about it we're like how did we get through all of that you know she had told me that um, I should try to pursue like some kind of legal action because she said that it was not not normal like she had never seen anything like that before and so I ended up getting discharged from there they kept me for like observation for a little bit then they discharged me and I was able to go back over to the children's hospital um, and we were able to be with my daughter Um, we were there for about what like two and a half weeks at this point was was it the fourth of july the second thing that happened mm-hmm. so it's the fourth of july all we yeah, had at to that do... point like we were we were like all right we're getting somewhere like it was more than just like postpartum stuff with her um she had gauze inside of her like she could have went toxic shock like could have died right. again so it was like all right we're good we're good now. We're good. Like, she's good. She's going to start healing. Like, the blood pressure getting under control. Like, the swelling's going down. Some sense of normalcy, again, uh-huh. as, as much as it could be. But then, um, it, was the, it was the 4th of July, which is a super big holiday for, for me. Um, like, when we first started dating, that was one of the first things I invited her to. Um, so, you know, obviously we're in the hospital, so it's like, it's a bummer, but obviously <laughs> I'm here, like, for a reason. So anyway, we were just trying to make the most of it. We were going to watch fireworks on TV. We ordered barbecue, got it door dashed, and uh, we were in the hospital getting 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 it set up um, on the table, getting ready to eat, um, yeah. and that's when she started hemorrhaging. Yeah. And so the baby was going to have a car seat test, which that's like one of the final steps they do before they discharge you. So we're like, you know, home is in in the view, like we're going home. And so our food had just came, right? Yeah. Yeah, Our food just just came came. and we sat down and I feel this big gush. And I'm like, I know that feeling. So I get up to go to the bathroom. And as I'm walking, it's just like pouring, like more than just like, you know, a sneeze, like, you know. And I get in the bathroom and it's just like I'm peeing blood. Like it's just pouring out of me. And I'm like, Sean, you need to get someone. It looked like a crime scene. Like it was just blood everywhere. He gets the nurse, like a million people come in the room and I'm in the children's hospital. So they're not used to dealing with postpartum hemorrhaging, secondary postpartum hemorrhaging women. So it's just total chaos. And all I'm thinking is like, I'm bleeding. I'm bleeding. I'm going to bleed to death. Like, I'm going to bleed to death. Like, no one knows what they're doing. Like, I'm going to bleed to death. And then finally, they put me in like this chair. They take me to the emergency room in the children's hospital. They don't really have equipment for adults. So it's like everything they're doing, they're just like, you know, we need to get her to the adult hospital, but like, we're going to do what we know to do to save her. Um, on the way down, I lost consciousness, and I remember... Yeah, so they were trying to figure out, like, how to get her over there, like, protecting her privacy, and where the emergency room at Children's Hospital was at, and right, the pen was right next door, but they they didn't want to wheel her through the, through the hallway, but then they finally decided we're going to go down this way, and go through this tunnel, whatever, so we're walking over there, um, and and that's when she 
lost consciousness. Um, so I thought again that she was dying at that point. Um, and, and the doctor just kind of was like trying to reassure me and rushing her back. Cause he already knew like why she, he, he knew it wasn't from the hemorrhaging. Um, it was the sight of blood. So he's like, cause I'm like falling out, like about to fall on the floor. And he basically was like, get up. Like, what are you doing? Like, let's go. And we, we rushed back to the, to the emergency room and they just get her on the table and they, 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 they stop, you know, they, they bring her back pretty much. She woke up and that's when he explained that it was just from the sight of, it was one of those things where she fainted because she lost so much blood, even though she did lose a lot of blood. Um, it's the shock of it so all. Was, yeah. And I was like, all right, all right, all right, cool. So then um, they, they finally were able to get her stabilized and then get her over next door to, yeah. to be treated. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did, uh, they did blood transfusions. Yeah, I had to have two more blood transfusions. And then, so at this point, I'm in one hospital in the emergency room. And our daughter's in the other hospital by herself. And I remember laying in the emergency room before, like, we knew what was going on. Um, at the children's hospital, they had done an ultrasound. And the someone told me that there was something in my uterus. So I'm in the emergency room. And no one's telling me anything. And they're, like, some people are coming in. And then at one point, they come in and they give me the remote. And I'm like... I'm bleeding to death. Like, what are you doing? You're giving me the remote. This was before they had started the transfusions and everything. And even though, like, I'm completely with it, I I don't obviously feel fine. But, you know, like, I'm, I don't feel, like, in any more pain than I was in prior to it happening. But, like, I just in my mind, I was like, I'm bleeding to death. And I remember laying in the emergency room looking up like above my head at the clock and just like watching it tick like I can't believe I'm gonna lay here and bleed to death um and then we had this doctor come in and he was so sweet and he just was like ma'am you are in one of the best hospitals in the country we are not gonna let you bleed to death in our emergency room like he basically was like how dare you like you are (laughs) like that's what I needed at the time and um yeah because I mean everything we had just went through like they didn't know that so not that they were downplaying her current situation but they were just like you're gonna be fine like we're not gonna (laughs) let anything happen to you not knowing the trauma that we had just went through for the past few weeks yeah and so once um once they started the transfusion um, I was like, you know, I'm going to use this opportunity to get some sleep. You go back over with our daughter. So he went back over. That's when they did the car seat test. So they did the car seat test while I'm in one hospital, but I'm good. Like, I'm just sleeping it off. Um, and then she, our daughter passed the car seat test and we're like, hooray, we can go home. You know, everything's great. And so we did end up um, going home on like, yeah before we got to go home though we had to learn how to because one of the things that when they treated her she had a ng tube um because that's that's how she was being fed um so we had to learn how to change it um and had to change it successfully and and we did It, it wasn't it wasn't really difficult um so we had to do that and then uh what was it three days after july 7th when we came home july 8th july 8th yeah um so four days after the the hospital incident and she spent the night and um we were able to come home a few days a few days later 
Yeah. And then we came home and she had some health concerns as far as like things that we had to learn. Like we had to take her blood sugar like seven times a day. Um, she was on like five different medications. She had the feeding tube. I was nursing. That was the only thing that went right. The only thing. <laughs> she latched immediately and we, I nursed until she was three and a half years old. So it was like our only success. <laughs> Everything else like, but like that was the one thing that there wasn't really any complications it was like i didn't have issues with pumping when i went back to work like that it was the only thing that worked out yeah we had to feed her every three hours too like she had to be on she was on a feeding schedule we so we had to do these gravity feeds too yeah um in the middle of the night where we like hook up the thing like gravity a gravity feed just like you would think it was you hook up the the tube up here you pour the milk in it and it goes in through the tube and down in, into her system yeah. um <laughs> so we were home we had our babe um and then we just really had to figure out you know we were adjusting to be if being a family of three so we didn't have kids. We were married for like, what, five years before yeah. we had her. We were married for five years before we had her. We were together for nah, eight, yeah, eight, eight or nine. nine. <laughs> um, I was 35. He was 37. Yeah, 37. So we were a little bit older. Like we had like set in our ways and we just had to like, you know, try to figure out life with this little baby. And then mm-hmm. she had all of these needs. Yeah. And we had to learn like a lot about her disease. Um, we had to go back and forth to Philadelphia and, you we know. We just got back from Philly. Last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so we were like, you know, just enjoying being a family yeah. and happy that everything worked out. I had a really, really supportive village and the women that I worked with at the time. There were like seven of us that were pregnant at the same time. And then just um, a lot of moms. Uh, you know, they were like invaluable at the time. I'm so thankful for them, for the relationship that I built with them. Um, They just, I don't know how I would have made it through a lot of things without their support, without them to listen to me, to give me advice, to love on my baby so I could go to the bathroom and, you know, so accommodating um, as far as like being able to get my work done. Whenever um, I had met like the CEO of the company, like the woman who founded the company that I worked for. Um, she had heard about my story and she like pulled me to the side and wanted to make sure that HR was like, you know, accommodating whatever my needs were. And that just meant so much to me because, you know, when you're a new mom and you hear stories about like maternity leave in America and how like stressful it is. And just to have like that village, like I already had so much support for my family, but to have it like in the workplace too, like forever, like that, those women in that time in my life, like hold such a special place in my heart because like I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Yeah. I don't even think this would be like emotional. No, that's beautiful because you need other people. The two of you were in the trenches, like deep in it. And I know that physically and mentally, Stacey, you were going through these up and downs of like, is this the thing that's taking me out? Right. And then Sean's like, am I raising this child alone? You know? These are real things. And I think that a lot of places and spaces don't give room for that. 
these real things that people are going through and thinking of when this stuff is happening because those are real thoughts and they're valid and they're um they're hard yeah for sure <laughs> yeah and and for men especially i would say it's even that more challenging because who is he talking to you know like how is he being able to process this stuff not only as it's happening but afterwards like there's not always a lot and i don't know what your village is like and your people and your friends sean but sometimes it's just hard for men to say those very difficult things like because you're supposed to be strong and you're supposed to you know be able to hold it all down and it's like you can't even make up half the stuff that just happened to you guys in this process. Like, there's no way. There's no way. Tell our listeners about how we got to the second birth. So after Z was born, that's my daughter, um, we knew that we wanted to have another baby, but also I wanted, I had a C-section, so I knew that I didn't want to try again for at least a year. I just wanted, like time to figure out my new normal um and so we were feeling pretty confident like we were like well you know we did struggle to get pregnant with her but you know we could get pregnant yeah yeah we 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 knew we we didn't have that barrier yeah in our way anymore we knew we could still do it yeah and i was nursing so um when my periods came back they came back um like about a year and a half, almost a year and a half later, and um, as soon as they came, they came back. It was like September or October, and then we started trying like that November. And I was like, "Oh, we're gonna like this. This will be so easy." Back to back. <laughs> then it wasn't happening, and then it's like February, March. It's still not happening, and then this is um, like COVID, March twenty twenty. You know, um. And then we're like June, July, still not happening. And then that's whenever, well, actually like June, I'd say, um, my doctor was like, well, we're going to do some um, fertility testing because like it should be happening. Um, And it still was not happening. Um, And then we switched insurances. And that means a whole new medical team because it was like in Pittsburgh, we have two different like um, medical like providers that you can that you can go to like that kind of have giant umbrellas um and so it was obviously the the other one that we didn't have none of our doctors were in that network and so um i had when we switched insurances i um asked my doctor and and with the old medical provider for recommendations and she gave me a recommendation reached out i got into that practice um so i had an OBGYN appointment and then i had a consultation with maternal fetal medicine i met with a standalone midwife center and they were like oh you want to do the midwives attached to the hospital once they heard my birth story they were like you're not appropriate for us we wish you luck but no thank you (laughs) and so um, i just did i was just so proactive about everything and then it was like we just weren't getting pregnant Um, And so my doctor with the new um, insurance was like, well, I don't want to wait with your age and I don't want to wait like, you know, the typical like however long you have to be trying before they can start doing tests. And so she did the test that we had done before my daughter. Of course, everything was normal. 
Um, and then we did um, another test where they put like the dye in your tubes to see if there's any blockages, no issues with that. Um, and then I did four rounds of Clomid and still nothing. And then we did, um, I forget what it's called. ACV. No, no. Oh. Where they like insert, where they take the sperm and inject it into the egg. Um, an IUI. No, is that what? Yeah, oh, interuterine insemin. Um, so we did that. And we were kind of on the fence with that because we were like, do we want to put all of this money into trying to have a baby and then have no money when we have another mm-hmm. baby? <laughs> and we already have a baby. like, And so we agreed very early on, like when we first started with the fertility clinic, that we were not going to do... Um, in vitro because it was expensive. Um, we knew like the roller coaster it could take you on. All like I had already been through too much, and I was like, if if it's not meant to be, like we'll we'll stop at the IUI, and we'll if we can't get pregnant, then you know we'll just be happy with where we're at. So we did the IUI, um, and it wasn't successful, and that was in May of twenty twenty one. Um, and we were like, you know what, let's just take a break. This is just too much. Let's just have a fun summer. We, we've like sacrificed vacations trying to have a baby before. Let's just have live life, you know? And so we, um, went to Jamaica and, um, just had like a nice summer. Weren't even thinking about it. And then, um, in November, I... My periods at the time were like clockwork, like, you know, if it was like an hour late, like I'm like, what's going on? So it was like a day late. So I was like, oh, maybe I'm pregnant. But, you know, when you're trying to conceive so much, you take a million pregnancy tests and like you sometimes you think you are. And then that let down. So I took a pregnancy test. I looked at it and it was negative, And I was like, oh, maybe my cycles are just changing. Um, and that was on a Monday. And then by Thursday, I still hadn't started, and I was like, what's going on? So I came home, and I took another pregnancy test, and I found out that I was pregnant. And I was in complete shock and disbelief. Like, I was like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe that I'm pregnant. <laughs> like, how did this happen? Like, we just put, like, thousands of dollars into making this happen, and nothing happened, <laughs> and now here we are. Um, and so then at that point, it was like, you know, oh my goodness, like I'm newly pregnant. I'm only like four weeks. Like it's not even the six week mark. Like let's not even talk about it. Let's not get excited. Like we already know that this is not guaranteed. So we just kind of, we didn't really like ignore it, but we just kind of like, let's just pretend like it's not happening. And then I started getting morning sickness, um, which lasts all day. And that was kind of whenever it was like, we're really pregnant. Like, Oh no. (laughs) Then I started spotting and that was really, really scary. And we were like, here we go again. Um, but it was like one day at a time. Um, it was still too early for like a doctor's appointment. They didn't want to see us until 10 weeks. So we just kind of were like, what will be, will be. (laughs) Yeah. And it helped that we had my daughter. So we weren't so like, it was it was tough for me though because I would I would be on like the baby apps every day, and on the internet every day just like checking to see progress like, and every day it was like all right we got through this day nothing happened we got through this day nothing happened, and then she was spotting and it was like, what's going on? And then 
that cleared and everything was fine. And then it was just like a daily thing, daily thing. And then, I mean, even, even as we got like deep into the pregnancy or not even deep into the pregnancy, but like at the quote unquote safe mark, it was still like every day for me, like until, until he, well, we didn't know he at the time, but until the baby gets here, it, it was a, it was a struggle for me every day. Yeah. It was definitely like, you know, every time I go to the bathroom, I would look at the toilet paper. Um, That's one thing I used to do. I would I would listen for her because I would hear her go into the bathroom and I would just wait for it because I knew she would call. Um, and every time she went and just flushed and came out of the bathroom, it was just like, all right, we're good. Yeah. Yeah, for nine months. I mean, oh, yeah. going to the bathroom in the middle of the night was always, I would always say like, you know, I'm not going to turn on the light. I'm not going to look like I'm just going to like, everything's fine. Just, you know, and I would feel like such a relief like oh I actually went to the bathroom and didn't look at the toilet paper but then like I knew first thing in the morning I was going to be looking you know but at least (laughs) I could get a little bit of sleep and then um, we got to the end of pregnancy with him we got to about 36 weeks and we were seeing the midwives that were attached with the hospital where I delivered Um, everything was normal going good we're great I'm prepared I was cleared for we had a doula I was cleared for a v-back like they were like you got this and you know, it was going to be our redemption birth. And then um, 36 weeks go in and he was breached. But I was like, oh, I got this. Like, I've done research. So I do acupuncture. I do moxibustion. I do the chiropractor. I can't remember the name of the method that for spinning babies. I do spinning babies. I reach out to my doula. I'm like, is there anything you recommend? She sends me another spinning babies. Like, this baby is going to turn. I'm doing inversions. Like, I mean, just everything, like the amount of time, energy, and money that I spent at trying to turn this baby. Oh, so much. Um, and he was like, no, we're, I'm not going to turn either. This is where I like it, Mom. And so they were like, well, you can do um, an ECV where they try to like turn them like externally. Well, I didn't want to do that with my daughter because of the risk associated with it. And I was like, it was something that I kind of regretted after she came like, well, maybe if I would have tried this, she would have turned. So it was like, I had more self-confidence in trusting myself like 100% and not having that doubt. So I was like, well, let's try the ECV. Like I didn't want to have any regrets. I wanted to do everything that I could for him to turn. So we did the ECV um, right before they were about to get it started, um, the anesthesiologist had came in and she asked if they did like whatever they were supposed to do for the blood testing and they hadn't got the results back and so literally i'm hunched over they're about to put an epidural in my back like ready to go and the anesthesiologist shut it all down and they're like we have to wait for your blood results to come back so we're waiting they come back it was a good thing that we waited because i had like rare antibodies that had developed from the transfusions that i got with my daughter um and so they wanted to have the right blood prepared in case because we were at this point we were preparing for like any outcome. And I believe they do that for all. Um, if it's like the external versions, cause it could cause like premature you to go into premature labor. And so we were right. prepared for like an emergency C-section or like whatever would happen. Um, and so they had to have blood ready because they knew that I had had this history of having an accreta. Um, 
And so that was really good that we did wait and that they found out that I had those antibodies because that could have been like a whole nother journey. Um, so we did the ECV. He got the whole way around. And as soon as they took their hands off, he went the whole way back to where he had started off. Um, so he didn't want to turn. So we were like, well, you're having we're having another C-section. I was really, really upset about that. Um, I had had a birth plan and I came home and I was so mad. I threw it in the garbage. Like, oh, I'm just going to have to have another C-section. Like, I just was so, so upset about it. Um, okay, let's put this here. And so my doula kind of, you know, talked to me and she was like, it can still be whatever you want it to be. Like, you, you know, why don't you go back and make a birth plan for a C-section? Um and so I didn't immediately, I was angry and I wanted to be angry and I didn't want anyone to tell me that I couldn't be angry. So I just kind of wallowed in my anger for a couple of days. And then I was like, the baby's coming. Um, it's going to be C-section whether I like it or not. So I might as well have a plan for it. So I made a birth plan for my C-section, but I was a little bit stubborn with it. I was like, you know, I'm just going to put the bare minimum because I was still upset about it. Um, so I had like certain things that I wanted as far as the care for my child. I wanted Sean to be able to cut the cord. I had seen that on like a YouTube video or something that it could happen in a C-section. Um, and then I didn't want my baby to go to the NICU and I wanted to live. So I said, you know, at the bottom, I had like two asterisks. <laughs> please don't send my baby to the NICU and please don't let me die. And that was my birth plan. Um, and so... We go in for the scheduled C-section. Um, and also during the ECV, we had talked about, because we had to be prepared for the possibility it could end in labor, we had talked about all of the possible outcomes and me needing like um, a C-section. If I had a crate egg and they didn't know if I did, what the options were as far as like blood transfusions, how they could use my own blood, um, and the possibility of a hysterectomy. So we had talked about all of this during the procedure to try to turn the baby, um, which was very, very helpful. I'm glad that that happened because I had done research. I was able to ask questions and kind of like, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, like go over what all of that would look like. So we go in at 39 weeks um, to have him scheduled C-section. Um, my doula was with another birth. And so she was like, I'm really going to try to make it. But if not, I'm going to send another doula. So she wasn't able to make to make it. She sent another doula who I'd never met, never worked with or anything. So that was a little bit stressful. But I was like, you know, I feel very empowered. Like, I'm just glad to have her. She came in. She was just an angel. Um, we go in for the C-section. And it was just like, like, perfect like they had a, a drape that had a clear window they pulled him out I seen him come out I heard him cry I wanted to just be so like mindful and remember all the details because everything was such a whirlwind with my daughter um he cried Sean got to cut the cord they were like he's you know perfect everything's good now we're gonna try to take the placenta out are you ready and I was like yes they start to take it out the doctor leans over the curtain. She said, when I pull the placenta, your uterus is coming with it. I, the best way to save you from losing a lot of blood is to do an emergency hysterectomy. And I said, okay, can I kiss my baby first? And they were like, yes. 
Sean asked how long I would possibly be gone. They told him. They brought my son over to me. I gave him a kiss. I told him I loved him. I told Sean, stay with the baby. Um, and then I woke up. I had a sore throat, but Sean was sitting at the end of the bed with my baby. He wasn't in the NICU. My doula came over, made sure I was okay. She just like evaporated. I don't even remember her leaving. Mm -hmm. And they brought me the baby. And it was like, oh, like just, I just such like a moment of redemption. Like I was okay. I had my baby. Um, You know, there was so much else. I was still in the NIC and not in the NICU in the, Labor and delivery ICU, yeah. like I still was not out of the woods, but you couldn't tell me that at the time. Like it was just perfect. And people would come in and they would be like, I mean, it was like doctors, oncologists, gynecologists, obstetricians, like nurses, just constant people like through my room in that like 12 hours. And everyone would ask how I'm doing. And I'm like, I'm fine. And I even like, told Sean I was like I feel like the medical people are more traumatized from everything that just happened than I was like I felt so prepared yeah because we had already known that this was going to be an option that even though like it sounds like oh you like you just went in for a scheduled c-section and you come out with a hysterectomy um to me it was just like but I'm alive and my baby's not in the NICU Um, And that was all that really mattered to me. And throughout, like, everything that was going on from the time I went in to have him until he was born, anyone that would look at my birth plan would look at those two asterisks and, like, like, they would either, like, get someone else and be like, look at this, and then they would look at me. Or, like, so many of them I felt like wanted to give me, like, hugs. And, like, they were like, we, like we are not going to send your kid to the NICU. You are not going to die. Like it, I just felt like it like touched them so much. And to me, it was just like, you know, at the time when I wrote it, I'd felt so defeated. It was like at the very least, like, can you please not send my kid to the NICU and like, keep me alive. Like it came from like a place of like anger and frustration for me. Like I didn't think that people were going to have such an emotional reaction to it, but like everyone that's seen it was like, (laughs) That's the most powerful thing you put on there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can't read that and treat everything as routine after you after you read it, right? Because a lot of what happens in medical neglect and challenges is that everything is just routine. They don't make the space for the outliers. And you consider somebody's job is every day to help deliver babies, whether it's the doctor or the nurses and everything. It does become very routine. When someone stops you in your tracks and says, don't kill me today, it's a different feeling, right? It's not just the news headline saying X, Y, and Z. It's it's you being in this real space with this very real human having a very real experience. And they don't even know the half of what you've gone through together. Yeah, and it, it, it turned out to be a good thing, actually, that he was breached. Um because if she would have had the natural birth, they would have had to cut her open anyway. Because her, her her placenta was stuck to her uterus. So if he comes out naturally, he comes out, and then she still has to get cut open so they could save her. So it, it kind of you know uh, worked out. Worked yeah. out. I slow down time. Yeah, having to have the ECV and having that like small amount of time but to really like think through like every worst case scenario and like 
what would I want to do? And like, obviously no one wants to give up a bodily organ. Um, and especially I know like for a lot of women, like if they, I'm on like a lot of like support groups for women who have had hysterectomies and especially as a result of like a birth, um, it's like, if you want another child, like not having that option. And there was just like, I just like, sometimes I felt like this is strange that I don't have more of an emotional reaction to this. Like, am I okay? Am I just not in a place where I don't know if I'm okay? Like I even did, um, like a consult with the psychiatrist at the hospital after I had him just to like, see, like, is this normal? Like, I felt like I was like too handling it too well. <laughs> and they were like, you know, that it's normal. Like you were, you were informed, you knew what was going on. But that doesn't mean that down the road when you're able to finally realize what happened to you, like that you might not um, need someone to talk to. So they were able to set me up with like um, an intake with like a therapist um, to just to kind of be proactive about the situation. And I was able to meet with her um, like a couple, like two months after I had the baby and I still was feeling okay in a good mental place um, and she was just able to keep me like as a client so that way a, a lot of times it can be like a long waiting list to talk to someone so she was like if at any time like you feel like it's too much or you need to talk to someone like I want you to be able to get in and see me immediately but when I went in to see her we actually spent more time focusing on my anxiety about driving in the snow than my birth <laughs> trauma so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think <laughs> I think being informed obviously helped a, a ton i also think just after everything that we went through um did we really want to have a, another one did we want to <laughs> go through this again we have our girl we have our boy we're a family of four yeah, like we're we, old i know we're old like <laughs> for, for for parents um but yeah like what i i so, so I think that that kind of helped along the way too. But there have been times I thought about it, like, um, like we we can't, yeah, like it's we like literally so can't final. have like any more children if we wanted to, like naturally. Yeah. Um, again, it's really, I yeah, it's don't want so to. easy to snap up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like, want to. <laughs> um, but someone has a tantrum and you're like, oh yeah, who was I ever? But no, we we definitely are are very fortunate. Yeah. And we're all able to be together today and, and have our little family. Yeah. Um. So I was, the recovery from the hysterectomy was really, really difficult. Really, really difficult. And I felt so helpless because I couldn't do anything for myself. And then I have, you know, my daughter to take care of. Then I have this new baby. I couldn't even sit up in bed. I would lay in bed and like he would run out to get dinner. And I would think if someone came in right now, like to, kidnap my child I would just have to I would just be laying here and I there would be nothing I could do except for try to call for help because I cannot even physically roll over like it was just such a helpless time and I had like a device to help me like pick things up and I would drop it and I would just start crying like uh, I got this to help myself and I can't even help myself and oh it was just so such a tough recovery a long long tough recovery but we didn't have to go we, well we did have to go to the NICU but we kind of checked in and out 
because um, since my daughter had the congenital hyperinsulinism, he had, my son had to be evaluated for it. And there was like a protocol. And so um, we had met with, I had met with them prior to delivering him. And um, the doctor that I talked with, she was, we came up with a plan and she was like, um, unfortunately, I'm going to be on vacation at that time. Cause we knew it was a scheduled C-section at this point. She was like, if at any time they deviate from this plan, like, please advocate for yourself. And after having my daughter and having the support that I had around having her and having the knowledge, like even the letter that that um, we got from CHOP for our for the protocol at the end, it said, like, you know, that we have extensive experience with this disease and to, you know, defer to us. And that made us feel like if the doctors are telling the other doctors like that, we know not more than them, but, you know, it's a rare disease. Very well versed in it. Yeah. And so that made us feel really like empowered, too. Yeah. So he went to the NICU. He was supposed to be there for eight hours. Um, he didn't do he didn't his test numbers weren't exactly what they wanted to be. So they were like, we're just going to keep him overnight. And I was like. Oh no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. So he had to hit a certain number, like, and it, and he after a f- couple hours only, a few hours, he didn't hit that number. And again, he's a newborn baby, and you're not giving him food. So like, what right. are we doing here? Mm-hmm. He's he's not hitting that number, but he's not super low either. Like yeah. I've seen super low before. Uh-huh. So anyway, they're like, all right, we're gonna end it, but he's still under our care, so we have to keep him down here. Mind you, it's at the back of a NICU. Um, he's in this big open room by himself, like, and I'm just like, nah, that's not happening. Like, get him out of your care, call who you have to do, like, send him back up to the care upstairs and bring him back. We're, we'll come get him. Yeah. And that's exactly what we did. Yeah. We had a um, mini, a little meltdown and we were like, yeah. we need a wheelchair and they're like, well, we have to put him for a transportation request. And I went and found one. Yeah. He's like, like this I'm is not, a hospital. They yeah. have wheelchairs and wheelchairs he, everywhere. he just goes and takes someone's <laughs> wheelchair. Like I said, I was like, my recovery was tough, but like we got, I got myself into the wheelchair and we went down there and we were like, who do we need to talk to? And then they tried to tell us like, well, because he's being monitored, we're like, no, you can monitor him in our room like give us our baby right now (laughs) and the doctors came and they gave us our baby and the nurses like came and they were like we're so glad that you guys did that like they were all everyone was just like so impressed that like we kind of went down and like fought for our baby like we're taking we don't care what the results are like you can figure this out while he's with us yeah so that was nice so he did eight hours in the NICU eight planned hours where I got some sleep because I I didn't know we were gonna have to fight to get him out until after the eight hours were up so that was nice (laughs) yeah but we we advocated and we we got him up there and and the doctors even on our end had our side because chop in Philly they uh were being very dramatic and because he didn't hit the scores like in the 70s that they wanted to, they wanted to do, there were like two or three dramatic yeah, options. crazy options. They I wanted mean, to like, medically no. fly us out to CHOP again for him to be seen by CHOP. We're like, that's not, no way in hell that's happening. <laughs> um, they wanted to start him on the medicine that she was on. And I'm like, he, you, no, that's not happening either. You haven't given him a chance. Yeah. yeah, so so the doctors actually at um, uh, McGee here in Pittsburgh actually advocated with us against CHOP. Like, we're not doing any of those things. We're going to do another fast, and we're going to do it now, basically. Like, we're, we're not going to wait a whole... Because they wanted us to wait a whole other day, 
and spill into the weekend. Mind you, we went in on a Monday, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, it's like, if, if, if we wait this long, we're going to spill into the weekend and we're going to be here until Monday. Yeah. So I'm like, and then I would have been discharged and the baby, I would have went home without my baby again. Yeah. Like, it was just like, no, we're like, not doing that. None of that is happening. <laughs> so we're going to start the fast yeah. at this time. So, like, he's either going to pass or fell it and we'll revisit it there. Yeah. And he actually passed it. Like, he passed I, don't, it. I don't know how, I don't know how he did it. <laughs> like, what happened. <laughs> But he actually was hitting all the numbers, like, high. Like, it, it, it just needed that extra day, I guess, for his body to, you know, kick in. And yeah. his actual reserves to help yeah. his levels, so. And then he came home. And, like I said, I had a really tough recovery. Um, even now, he's 15 months. Yeah. Um, I still have some lingering, you know, when am I going to get back to my new normal, but I'm still nursing. Um, and I know that my body's been through a lot of trauma, so I'm just not really tough on myself. The other day I was like striding through the parking lot and I just like had this moment where I was like, look at you taking big, long steps. Like I, I still can't run, but like to be able to just like take like a long stride, like I like last year at this time I did not see that in my near or far future like I was just my body just has been through so much but you know every day I can see that you know I'm getting better um I try to remind myself that I still am very much postpartum like especially with everything that I went through and you know um I think having one child and going through like the postpartum and the second one I'm just like I know that that I'll get back to a place where I feel confident in my own body. Um, it's just not my time right now, and I'm okay with it. Where, like, you know, with the first kid, you're like, when am I ever going to feel better? Or, like, this is this going to be how I feel forever? And I can, like I said, I can see myself getting better every day, and I will be able to run again. And I can't close windows either, so I'll be able to close windows and... I'm still nursing, so I'll get my body back to myself. I'll be able to work out and all of that, but it's just not my time right now, and I'm okay with that. Yes, you started this whole conversation saying that you're in your mom era, and that is important to give yourself that grace um, of who you are in this postpartum, you know, and everything is postpartum from here on out. Like everything is, you're a new being each time. Um, if they could think of anything to share with our listeners, is there anything else, whether it be advice or any of the resources that you guys um, connected with during this time? Um, I would say for those struggling with infertility, never give up hope. I know it sounds cliche to say, but never give up hope. And if even if you have to use, you know, more invasive methods that we didn't have to use, or if you decide like, this journey is too much and you might go like adoption or something like that or if you just all of a sudden decide like we can't have kids we're not going to have kids like just know that we are sending you positive energy just don't give up hope we know how difficult that struggle is and we're in your corner if you ever find yourself in a in a situation where you need to uh, advocate for yourself. Make sure you're knowledgeable um, in whatever 
the the ailment or situation may be yeah and and advocate for yourself um and if you're not knowledgeable reach out to some people that are because they can they can help you yeah there are resources out there like just simple conversations talk to everybody yeah join a facebook support group like i joined a facebook support group and it was like because you don't know what you don't know and they were like for after my hysterectomy they helped me so much in my recovery yeah, but just, you know, make sure you always advocate for yourself because uh, the, the doctors don't don't make the rules yeah. necessarily. Um, they are doctors, yes, they're very knowledgeable medically, but um, just advocate for yourself. There's nothing, yeah. nothing wrong with that. And push and don't just get pushed around. Don't let them push you around. Don't let them make the calls. They're... they're 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 letting they're letting black women die at an unreasonable unacceptable rate um and and again who knows the reasoning behind it um lack of compassion just letting things go with the flow um but just just advocate for yourself and and for your families i love when you say the rules any kind of any kind of especially medical especially medical um you make the rules you make the rules about what's acceptable what are your boundaries are gaining as much information as you possibly before you make before you make decision what it's what you sign when you sign when you get there it's supposed to be informed informed consent yes that's it Thank you so much for sharing. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a crazy story. So. <laughs> it, it, you couldn't you couldn't make it up if you tried. So. Yeah. Um, no, it's no. I, I like to uh, to share it as much as possible um, for anybody that may be experiencing something similar. Yeah. Um, but, or in any situation. Yeah. Um, just you know, keep your head up. <laughs> keep fighting. Uh-huh. and general hyperinsulinism she um did it's called a cure fast where they determined if she could come off her medication and she was able to come off of her medication so after five years blood sugar checks i can't even tell you thousands of blood sugar checks yeah um she's been on medication twice a day every day uh-huh. from the time she was seven days old until five and in Jan- I mean, in July, we were able to come off the medication. So while she still has the disease, she doesn't have to take medicine for it anymore. So that's kind of oh, like, <laughs> yeah, that was a huge. That's a big deal. That was yeah. a big deal because we um, were back and forth between Philadelphia for a very yeah. long, very long time. <laughs> yeah, now we still have to go back to get checkups every now and again, but not not as often. like once a year. Yeah. Um, and nah. she's not on medication, so it's just yeah. more of like a formality. Like, yeah. And, and she has family out there, so we kind of make a trip of it. Um. So. Yeah. So that's kind of like the full circle, like. Yeah. Everything was just. We don't have to stay in the hospital anymore. We we would have to go there before and do like safety fast. They'd have to keep her overnight. Uh-huh. Or two nights just to make sure yeah. um, she was able to maintain her levels to see how long she could do it, essentially. Um, so no more hospital stays. And, yeah, so we can stay away. Like our goal is to have no member of our family have to go to the hospital or take 
go to the pharmacy for medication. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it's Danielle. It's the holiday season. It's here. And I've been looking for new ways to decrease my motherhood load, especially the mental work of preparing meals and thinking of new meals. And so I've tried out Factor. It's America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, and they actually provide breakfast, lunch, or dinner. All the food is chef-prepared, dietitian approved and they get delivered straight to your door. The meals we tried out were pretty simple. I wanted to make sure it was something that I knew my kids would like or something that was a familiar taste. And so they had um, some really good non-meat meals, and we did the peanut Buddha bowl. And my oldest daughter really loved it. And she said it was so filling, especially for something that didn't have meat in it. And I tried the tomato goat cheese cavatappi. It was so good and creamy. Um, it was kind of, um, it was better than I expected. I wasn't sure. You know, you just never know getting food from somewhere else. And it's hard to decide if it's something you want to spend money on, if you want to, you know, try stuff that someone else has cooked. Because I know it's hard to eat someone else's cooking. <laughs> And right now, just for trying it out, you can head to factormeals.com slash birthstoriescolor50 and use code birthstoriescolor50 to get 50% off. That's code birthstoriescolor50 at factormeals.com slash birthstoriescolor50 to get 50% off. And that's an excellent way to just try it out and see if you like it and let us know what you think. Thanks for listening to Birth Stories in Color. To hear this show and other episodes, head to birthstoriesincolor.com. 